And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Meg your host, as always, I'm a national staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. The Challenge Cup is underway. The FIFA window is complete. The lawsuit between the players of the U.S. Women's National Team and U.S. Soccer has closed its first stage, and the appeal has officially gotten underway. A lot happening, but this wasn't quite the triumphant week of women's soccer here in the States that we were hoping for. So on today's show, I am joined by both Sandra Herrera of CBS Sports, and Steph Young of All 411 for a discussion of the past few days, in particular, the much tougher discussion around what Sandra calls the generational growing pains of the NWSL that we're working through right now. First, as always, before we get started, your reminder that you can support this podcast and also get all of the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team coverage of The Athletic, plus everything else we have to offer with the site and app by signing up for a new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. Right now, when you visit theathletic.com slash full-time, you can start your new subscription for $3.99 a month. As for the news, let's start with the lawsuit. On Monday, the settlement on the remaining portion of this lawsuit concerning working conditions was finally approved by the court, though it was really actually entered into the system on Wednesday the 14th. But first, on Monday, we had these back-and-forth statements from the spokesperson for the players involved in the lawsuit, that's Molly Levinson, and then U.S. Soccer, plus some new clips of U.S. Soccer President Cindy Parlo-Cone, of course, herself a former women's national team player. But here's the statement from U.S. Soccer on Monday. I'm just going to read this out right now. We expected the women's national team to appeal the summary judgment ruling that determined U.S. Soccer has paid the U.S. women's national team fair and equitable compensation. We remain hopeful that we can come to a resolution outside of the court system. U.S. soccer is 100% committed to equal pay. We have offered the U.S. women's national team the identical compensation provided to our our men's players for all matches controlled by U.S. soccer. Unfortunately, the U.S. women's national team has not accepted our offer of a long-standing invitation to try and meet to find a resolution unless U.S. soccer first agrees to make up the difference between the men's and women's World Cup prize money, which is determined, controlled, and paid for by FIFA. Our request to meet still stands, and we hope the U.S. women's national team will accept our invitation very soon. We look forward to working together to chart a positive path to grow the game both here at home and around the world. Now, Levinson disagreed with the fundamental premise of a lot of their statement, But either way, by Wednesday, that appeal to the Ninth Circuit was in. And for this news, another statement from Levinson. And then this one has a particularly notable section here that the legal case is simple for each win, loss, and tie that the women's players secure. They are paid less than men who play the same sport and who do the same work. That is gender discrimination. 
In addition, the discovery record demonstrated, including in depositions from current or former U.S. Soccer Federation executives and board members, that a pervasive atmosphere of sexism drove this pay discrimination. I'm sure you remember some of those filings as I read through them late on Friday nights uh, last year. Obviously, this is still a developing story as the appeal gets underway, and I'm sure we will be seeing a lot more on this for a while. Moving on, the two final teams have qualified for Tokyo after the playing games with China and Chile nabbing those final spots, and the tournament draw is set for April 21st. After a shaky outing and a 1-1 draw against Sweden, the U.S. bounced back with a much better performance against France on Tuesday, uh, defeating them 2-0 in Le Havre. Some other interesting international results from this FIFA window as well, with Canada picking up two wins over Wales and England. More on that uh, later in the show, since Steph is around. Germany and the Netherlands both taking it to Australia pretty thoroughly. France starting off their window with a 3-1 win over England, too. Really, a a lot of games to uh, get a handle on here. Finally, the NWSL. Chicago and Houston started off the Challenge Cup with a nil-nil draw before Portland defeated Kansas City 2-1, with many storylines coming out of both of those Friday night matches. The Courage outscored the Spirit 3-2 on Saturday, and Racing Louisville FC salvaged a point in their debut at home with a 2-2 draw against the Pride. Now, after Friday's game, Chicago Red Stars defender Sarah Gordon tweeted that she had an experience in BBVA Stadium in Houston, quote, My boyfriend came to the game against the Houston Dash, and after the game, he came down steps to talk to me. We were immediately, before he was close to me, followed by security, and told he would be arrested if he came close. Meanwhile, white players were talking to white family all over the stadium. She had a, a further thread as well. So the Dash released an initial statement that, missed the mark uh, on a number of fronts, which they then further admitted in a second statement, which also indicated an investigation was underway. The NWSL confirmed that pending investigation on Tuesday as well in their own statement, plus the players on the Red Stars, and as of Wednesday, the Dash as well, have released their own statements supporting Sarah Gordon directly. Now, meanwhile, in the Portland KC game, four red cards were issued late in the match, including a second yellow on Simone Charlie following a tackle. Then one was issued to Thorne's head coach, Mark Parsons, and then two red cards to KC's Kristen Edmonds and Portland's Morgan Weaver following a confrontation late in the match. Portland then did a questionable tweet uh, regarding Weaver's involvement, which also drew its own cycle of constructive criticism. Then on Tuesday, the league released their disciplinary committee report, which included rescinding Weaver's red card and issuing another game suspension to Kristen Edmonds following that confrontation, plus flagging another foul from the Louisville-Orlando game that required further discipline that was really unrelated to everything else that had happened this weekend. Finally, there were fines, and a lot of them. So here, here, here it is straight from the release. Additionally, the league has issued fines to Portland for defender Megan Klingenberg's comments during a post-game press conference and a social media post, which were determined in violation of section 12.1.4e, prejudicial statements and public criticism of the league operations manual. New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC, and the Chicago Red Stars have also each received a fine for violation of a league directive. So the unnamed ones from that paragraph there were for a tweet from Portland owner Merritt Paulson concerning the red card issued to Weaver. Again, that's that's not surprising. The league has been 
pretty clear always that you cannot criticize the refs in a certain fashion. But then also to Sarah Spain of the Chicago Red Stars' new owner, who had shared the Red Stars' player statement of support with her own commentary, and then Gotham FC GM Elise LeHue for her thread about basically the the weekend of the NWSL. So an NWSL spokesperson confirmed to me that that guidance was given to not comment publicly what they consider regarding the pending investigation, and clearly the league found those two had not followed that guidance, and hence their justification for fines. That is my attempt to somehow create a short version of everything that happened. Hopefully that is enough to set you up for the rest of this show. So this interview really did start as a Zoom happy hour on Tuesday night with myself, Sandra Herrera, and Steph Young, and then we realized we should just Instead of waiting for Wednesday, just start recording. And so it is definitely a little more loose compared to the usual. There is definitely a little more cursing. Um, You know Sandra already from CVS Sports, where she covers women's soccer, plus pretty much everything else from the world of soccer and stuff from her work at The Athletic and All for Eleven. And obviously both have been on the show before. So here we go. Does everyone have a drink? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> not ready for a fucking thing but let's do it <laughs> all right let's start with the one shining moment of tuesday this has been like first of all let's just set the stage we have all been working nonstop for many many days let's set the stage and celebrate yuki nagasato Everyone is everyone is just centered in this moment now. It was a perfect tweet. We needed it desperately. Sandra, as someone who spent so much time with her in Chicago, when you saw the tweet, I don't even like, if you didn't see it, I just need you to like literally pause the episode, go look at Yuki Nagasato's Twitter and then come back. Because I don't want to, I don't want to even read it out loud because that would spoil it. Because it is so, you have to, it, you have to experience it in its actual context. Sandra, your thoughts? It was the exact right thing that everybody needed at the exact right <laughs> moment. Yuki Nagasato is is a very special player and a very special person. Um, probably one of the best NWSL acquisitions to have ever happened uh, in the league and was so blessed to cover her arrival to NWSL via the Chicago Red Stars and really sort of watch her transformation uh, as someone who became really a part of like American soccer culture. So we're watching a Japanese international player, a veteran of the game, right? Uh, A multi-award winning decorated athlete. And coming into NWSL, coming to Chicago and really watching her transformation as like a teammate, kind of going from where she's like coming from where she's been playing with Chelsea, playing in Germany, obviously for Japan. And then kind of having to like adopt these like facets and mindsets of like American soccer culture. And I think here we are these many years later 
watching this player just be very honest and it's a beautiful beautiful thing i have been able to write a number of features about yuki nagasato and part of that part of what's come into play is something like language and part of the tweet that we're referring to is her still uh familiarizing herself with the english language and she speaks very well and uh but part of that is like you know american slang and american culture and all of those isms that come into play with it uh but one of my favorite things that i ever wrote about yuki nagasato was having the interview with her ahead of the 2019 semifinal against the portland thorns and talking about her her journey to and with chicago and her transformation and playing music and learning how to play the drums and Shout out to Steph because I was able to write this for all for 11 and it was like it's still to this day one of my all time favorite interviews and she dropped like the most iconic line to lit- I mean she, she literally started the interview with this because I asked her a very simple question and I said Yuki how why are you so cool and she like just played it off and she goes cool I'm not cool I'm just a goofy bitch and I was like you don't even know how cool you are and that's what makes you so cool so that's just uh we are absolutely blessed to cover her the fans are blessed to watch her in the league and uh i need to see players like yuki nagasato and her profile uh be marketed more and uh be elevated uh in the league yeah i mean steph you you also wrote a feature on yuki for the athletic yeah (laughs) my dog eats a treat in the middle of this podcast but like i would argue yuki is the coolest player in the nwsl and it's not really a competition maybe she's got to be top 10 top five top three (laughs) she's up there (laughs) it's it's part of like that whole discussion of cool where it's like it's effortless it's innate you don't have to manufacture it people can sense when you're trying too hard she's cool through the natural i don't know amalgamation of her personality however like just by talking about it we're we're dissecting it too much it's like heisenberg's uncertainty principle because we've tried to measure it so now it no longer exists (laughs) i mean it's it's both cool and she's just like unapologetically herself at all times which i think is very very rare in this league so it's just i i think that that's fun but also that tweet where she encountered the term that ass for the first time ever i mean to the point where i mean i'm in i'm in my slack with my editors and both me and my editor alex and i are like in a race to see who puts that tweet in our channel first because it is just like it's this beautiful thing and again, we needed it after this week of the NWSL. So I guess <laughs> let's do it agrees in terms of what we're about to talk about. <laughs> Both, I, we encountered every single thing in the NWSL. I have joked a couple of times this weekend, like we all saved up every single part of the NWSL for the opening week of Challenge Cup including some racism and (laughs) some stupid decisions and like just like it was both 
everything that you would want on the field in terms of like entertaining soccer. Like I get this club has everything, including unfortunately racism. Like it's just everything was happening all at the same time. This entire weekend. Plus we have the U S women's national team. Plus we have all of these other international friendlies, right? Like it's a FIFA window. NWSL challenge cup is starting. All of this other stuff is happening off the field. We're all doing everything all at the same time. So now as we are talking and it's Tuesday night, like I'll, it's not even like a question. Just where is everyone's head at at this point? Because I think, A, all three of us are kind of beyond exhausted. But B, the general sense is like, God damn it, there's still so much shit that we have to wade through. Okay. I think, I think we need to, so we need to start, uh, we should probably like maybe just start with that Friday, right? Yeah. Um, with what happened do we want to talk about maybe like both matches sure because there's a little bit so i mean i can, I can maybe take the chicago angle here and you uh, chicago and stuff could take the portland <laughs> angle here maybe uh but yeah the double headers the houston and chicago one happened first and then after dark happened with uh, portland and kansas city but you know a huge part of what you know you're talking about meg was a lot of uh sort of the off the field post game stuff that happened. And uh, it really didn't come to light until about 24 hours after when Chicago Red Stars defender, Sarah Gordon um, uh, finally felt comfortable enough to express uh, via Twitter uh, a very dangerous incident that she had to go through an experience with her boyfriend and her friends uh, after that zero zero draw against Houston Dash. And uh, all of these things are still live at this moment via Twitter, right? So we're not going to try to paraphrase or insert any type of misinterpretations there. Uh, but the general gist along that was that she expressed in post game uh, interactions that she and her boyfriend. <laughs> were in a very unsafe position and incident with security there at BBVA Stadium. Um, words were exchanged and more information was added uh, to that incident from Red Stars assistant head coach or assistant coach uh, Scott Parkinson. And it was just a very, very sad situation. And I think my initial reaction to Sarah Gordon expressing that she and her boyfriend were, you know, racial in a racialized incident with security. Uh, it's very sad to have to admit this, but my my initial reaction was was, it's the first weekend of NWSL games, and this is already happening because for those of us who have been covering this for a very long time, know that very tragically, there is a history of racist incidents among black players in this league uh, that dates back already, you know, several years. And unfortunately, it also involves their families. <laughs> and in some players, it has yeah. directly involved their children. Uh, so it's very disheartening because it keeps happening. And it is incredibly discouraging 
to hear that that happens and to some extent for those of us who cover it to, to cover it uh, because of some of maybe not won't even say misinformation but lack of information and initiative into uh, to covering that correctly also occurs throughout the course of several days because like you said we're recording this on a, on a Tuesday night um, so there was a lot of back and forth uh, there was Sarah Gordon who expressed her truth there was a s- initial statement from Houston Dash that everyone has agreed missed the mark completely uh, and uh, it didn't acknowledge the player necessarily and uh, it negated her experience it almost had a layer of too bad you felt that way and uh they got kind of called out for it and then an initial (laughs) an additional statement was made um so they didn't uh leave that there to you know go unchecked you know credit to these nash they tried to come back with another statement and and just reiterate that an investigation is, is ongoing um and then we have you know the red stars players who have released uh, collective statements together in solidarity and support of of Sarah Gordon. So uh, it's it's unfortunate that something like this happening in the league uh, almost feels like it has to get messier before it can get uh, better. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where we're at right now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, I mean, so now as of Tuesday night as well, I mean, one of the reasons why we're really talking is because we have now gotten our disciplinary report from the league, which was jam-packed with information. Um, in terms of, you know, there were obviously fines as part of like, I mean, so also we need to get into the, the Portland Thorns, Kansas city game as well, but part of the, (laughs) the struggle here and Steph, let's, let's Steph, how about you sum up our Portland, (laughs) Portland, Kansas city experience which was a wild ride right on friday night i think by now everyone has seen the confrontation that happened between um kristen hedmonds and and morgan weaver kristen Edmonds, obviously for kansas city and morgan weaver for the portland thorns there was a tussle at a corner flag um you know hands were literally thrown not punches they were literally like hands in the face I think people have seen it multiple times, not least of which because the Portland Thorns posted video of the incident and then said, you know, Morgan Weaver is innocent. And then at first fans, but then more players, including Sarah Gordon herself, were telling them, look, you need to be aware of the language that you use because this was an altercation between a black player and a white player. You can't just throw words around willy-nilly. And if you're going to really stand by all your statements you made where you're committing to anti-racist work, you have to be willing to... Essentially, you have to have the humility to say that I was wrong. It would be better if you had the awareness to not do it in the first place because you had committed to the real anti-racist work of interrogating yourself and 
you know, trying to look, always just be careful. And I understand it's exhausting to feel like you're always having to watch what you're saying, but it's fucking exhausting. Sorry for my language, having to suffer from racism. So, you know, this is the thing that you have to do. It's the energy that you have to give. And it just took days and days of wrangling. And honestly, the thorns feeling like they were ignoring everyone, including their own fans. I really want to point that out here. It's not just sour grapes because there was a very vocal contingent of Thorns fans themselves, including the Rose City Riveters, who put out a statement like language matters. They might not have directly referenced the tweet. And I appreciate maybe the line that they have to walk here being an official supporters group who relies on on the club for, you know, to function as supporters group. But, you know, your own supporters are telling you language matters. Um, Some of your own supporters are black as well. And, you know, what you're doing is contributing to a problem that creates the situation that Sarah Gordon faced. Like there is a direct line between your actions and some security guard going after Sarah Gordon and her boyfriend because they're black as Sarah Gordon alleges. I mean, I think part of it too, is that, you know, right as the national team game was kicking off, there was that reply to Sarah Gordon too. That was kind of like intent versus impact. Right. And right. I think generally we all now at this point understand that intent is not nearly as important as how it's being read and understood. Right. Here's the word that I didn't see in that tweet. Sorry. I didn't see sorry or apologize in any of these tweets. Just like, yeah, we know intent and impact and stuff like that were honestly, it felt like trying to acknowledge the situation without having to say sorry. Um, which I should know because I'm the master of doing that because I have a really bad temper (laughs) and I have a hard time saying I'm sorry, which is I am actively in therapy for that. Um, That's what you needed to do. This whole thing could have been over in 10 minutes. Like we recognize that the words that we picked, you know, have an impact that doesn't match our intent. We've deleted the tweet and then you can still... (laughs) You can still appeal the decision because that's the crazy thing, right? The disco completely wiped Weaver's record clean. They're like, Morgan Weaver did nothing wrong. Just like you tweeted. Yeah. You know, you won in the end. Yeah. And then on top of that, Edmonds gets a suspension. Yeah. So let's, for, for folks who might not have necessarily followed all of the various releases throughout the weekend slash into this week, the result from the disciplinary committee is Kristen Edmonds gets an additional game suspension. Morgan Weaver's red card from the weekend gets rescinded. Plus there are fines levied against the thorns for that tweet because it is essentially like questioning the referee's decision. Plus Megan Klingenberg for her after uh, like her post-game comments And then there's also fines levied against the Chicago Red Stars and Gotham FC, which also, again, like for those who have listened to the show, Gotham FC, formerly known as Sky Blue FC. So there are now so many layers. And I think one of the the main reasons why I wanted to talk to both of you about this is because fundamentally, like, first of all, I don't think Klingenberg said anything that was even like remotely in fine territory. 
But what has really come to light in terms of the Gotham FC part and the Chicago Red Stars fine part, it's not about Sarah Gordon. It's also not about Scott Parkinson. What was fundamentally kind of at play in terms of what somehow launched into fine territory is Elise LaHue basically tweeting like, we have basically failed this community. And Sarah Spain as an owner, and I like, this is not at a spot where like anyone has like specifically confirmed, but it is, I feel good about saying it. It's the Sarah Spain tweet saying, reposting the Chicago Red Star statement from the players and saying like, owners stand with you as well. I mean, it was, it was only a few words. That's what's on the table in terms of what's picking up fines from the league. And, and one of the main things here at play is the fact that they're saying we have a pending investigation, which technically was formally announced by the league on Tuesday to the public, though they did confirm to some reporters in the middle of the weekend that it was underway. So let's dig into these fines a little bit, because I think that for me, it's just the energy feels very misplaced right at the moment. And I feel like I'm probably not the only one in the Zoom right at the moment that feels that way. Maybe Sandra, who is nodding, can step in. I think it just goes back to what we were talking to at, at the top of this pod when we're just sort of feeling like things have gotten a little bit messier or a little bit more gray and murky before kind of finally ironing things out and quote unquote fixing them, right? Um, part of what it appeared like via social media is part of the the fans or general public's perception of that initial statement from Houston Dash specifically was all of the shortcomings within, like Steph has alluded to, there's no I'm sorry, there's no apology initially. Um, and it's it's discouraging and it's frustrating. And you have these things happening, okay, so 24 hours after the fact, right? And then you have, I'm going to shout out a colleague of mine and ours and Annie Costabile from the Chicago Sometimes, who's a local Red Stars reporter here who who sought out comment from the league about that and got confirmation that there was an investigation ongoing. So that was a direct comment to a very specific reporter in a specific market. And I, you know, I don't want to miss, you know, interpret what you're uh, asking, Meg, but that's that's different from a public league announcement that there is an investigation happening versus, you know, telling a specific league, uh, a, a specific reporter from a specific market. Um, so there was still uh, maybe confusion about that. Well, where's the public acknowledgement uh, from the league on this? You know, where's the public acknowledgement from, from Houston Dash on this, right? So it got a little murky, it got a little, it added more question marks uh, to all of this. And it's you're already in a situation that feels bad and it essentially is made to feel worse when people are uh, looking for, you know, action or answers and kind of feel like they're still on the hunt for that. Or if you're somebody like Sarah Gordon or the players of the Chicago Red Stars feel like you're not being heard uh, and that your, uh, your initial, you know, your initial calls to bring this to light are going, are falling on deaf ears. So it's, uh, 
it's it, it it all sort of becomes this very kind of sad feeling. And then you have players going through what they went through in the Portland game and somebody like Megan Klingenberg, a veteran in this league, expressing what she's expressing and somebody like Elise LaHue expressing what she expressed, which kind of was very polite, <laughs> to be quite <laughs> frank, uh, and very nice and uh, actually quite honest. And uh, it's it's difficult to ever maybe have what's considered meaningful dialogue or exchanges right and on a place like twitter it's it's tough but what we're also learning now on tuesday night is that maybe some of the reactions and and some of the push via a social media channel like that has helped bring action and investigation to, to light and and help has helped uh sort of point and pinpoint potential, you know, paths to answers and action. Um, because again, having somebody like Sarah Gordon express this has brought up a lot of other memories from prior incidents. I mean, That's we had we had a statement from the Black Players Collective in the NWSL. We we didn't acknowledge that. I'm acknowledging it right now. They also released a statement in regards to what happened to Sarah Gordon. And that was a very well thought out and executed statement with intent. There was intent in that statement because they referenced that it is not the first occurrence in the league. And, you know, sometimes you have to make that type of noise a little bit to ensure that there is going to be some change and you cannot, we cannot come off of a year that we all just went through collectively in 2020, whether it's the league, it's fans, the media who cover it, whomever within this space, we cannot come off of the year that we just had and rest on our heels. <laughs> That's not how it works. There cannot, cannot come from a place where there was a ton of verbiage and preaching about doing the right thing, doing the unlearning and doing the re-educating and then hopping into 2021 and then continuing to make the same missteps. Um, the only way you're going to get to that point is if you do kind of get called out and are forced to try and reckon with that and be better. So uh, there has been a lot of verbiage thrown around and, and that the league wants to be a progressive league and not just perceived as a progressive league, they're going to have to do better. And I, I, my hope is that they're currently trying to do that with this investigation. Yeah, I mean... There's there's a lot to get into. I do want to read a small portion of the statement from the Black Women Players Collective. You know, obviously there is a direct line about support in terms of like believing Sarah Gordon's experience at BBVA Stadium. But also, again, like there was a direct reference to the Houston Dash statement missing the mark in terms of the second paragraph starts, it was disheartening to see that the Houston Dash's initial response to Sarah's account of the event was to deny the occurrence of any discrimination before an investigation had begun. They dismissed her grievances and undermined the truth of her story. Now, I also, like, I do want to point out the first statement also didn't even use her name. Like, it was just this very strange phrasing of like we know that a Chicago Red Stars player has said something right like and it's just there is such a strange denial of humanity when that kind of language is used in a statement and I know that there is like 
again, I understand that there's certain language that you use in press releases and all this kind of stuff, right? I get it. But also, if you have a player saying, this is what happened to me, to then not even use her name in the statement. And again, like, even like the actual word sorry aside, the fact that you don't use her name is one of those things that I think stood out to a lot of people. And then to have Elise LeHue, who I think also was providing a lot of context in this situation in terms of not just like, okay, we have maybe failed black players, right? Like, and again, I think that tweet that, that I think was one of the ones that kind of got targeted. I think that there were also some deleted tweets after the games on Friday in terms of refereeing, which again, I get like, that is kind of, that has always been in the frame of NWSL fines <laughs> of if you're going to say something about the refs, you can probably expect to get, to, to end up sending them some money, right? Like totally fair. But I also think that there was a lot of transparency there in terms of for NWSL teams and a lot of these teams, like they are not in full control of their stadiums. And that means security is also not in their full control, right? That's information that we need right at the moment if we're going to solve this problem from a structural level. Steph, I want to talk to you in terms of, I guess maybe what comes next. Like what, what can we actually like think is going to come out of this right at the moment? It's so hard to tell because Sandra mentioned this, that things got gray and they didn't just turn gray. I think NWSL themselves contributed to muddying the waters here. So for example, let's look at this disciplinary committee report. They don't mention Mark Parsons getting a fine. And yet Caitlin Best, who was the pool reporter um, and works out in Portland for that, got official comment from PRO uh, on why Parsons, he was ejected. He got a red card from their ref as well in that wild sequence at the end. And it said, in the first minute of stoppage, Mark Parsons, head coach for the Portland Thorns, was shown the red card for offensive, insulting, and abusive language and or actions. But there's no mention of a fine in the disciplinary committee. I'm not saying I'm rooting for Mark Parsons <laughs> to get a fine. I'm just saying it feels like there's some inconsistency here. There's also a lot of guesswork that has to go on in this disciplinary committee report. This is always the way the disco has operated though because this coming out it like tingled my little animal brain i was like this sounds so familiar and i wrote an article back in 2017 for the bent musket for uh the bent musket oh my god r.i.p breakers about how <laughs> it was actually for another incident with a disciplinary committee and a portland thorns player but how you know it just felt so opaque and there was an incident and then days passed and then the nwsl you know announced whatever reaction and it's like if you guys would just say like 10% more. Yeah. I know you want to hold your cards close to your chest, but when you create a vacuum, I've like screamed this for so many years, when you created information vacuum, fans will fill it with the worst possible assumption about you. And I don't know if NWSL even cares about that. They want to brag about Twitter engagement a lot, but they don't seem to care about, you know, a lot of the criticism that they're getting through social media and Twitter. So if the waters are muddy, it's because the league themselves weren't super clear, especially this thing, We've done it now for several minutes, right? We've tried to guess. Yeah. What were the what were the tweets? What were they about? And you know, it's probably tweets because they fell under the umbrella of criticizing referees. And I have also thoughts on that as a policy um, from the league as well. But you know, to fans, 
first pass and maybe even second pass, it looks like you're actually punishing people for speaking up in defense of a black woman who's pointing out a longstanding issue where black players may not necessarily feel safe in your league due to repeated instances of, of racist abuse. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I, I just, I always go back to that round table I did last summer where I asked players, like, do you feel safe in NWSL stadiums? And then like AD French was the first one who responded. And she was like, do you mean emotionally safe? Do you mean mentally safe? Do you mean physically safe? And I said, any, any or all. Right. And then her answer was no. Like if we're going to talk about fundamental work that needs to happen, it's first of all, make the answer be yes. But second of all, like what, what is standing in the way of that? And it, and if it is mentally safe or emotionally safe, like if they feel physically safe, which I think most of them for the most part did, although now after what happened this first week of 2021, I don't know what the answer would be, especially because apparently the security guard threatened arrest for Sarah Gordon's boyfriend, right. For just trying to talk to her after the game and like, COVID protocols, like just fundamentally, right? Like now I think this also becomes an issue of physical safety for players in your league. Didn't Jessica McDonald also say there was an incident with a security guard and her son? Son, son And her son's a little boy. He's like the sweetest little kid you've ever seen. There's a great picture of him from this weekend where he's got like a Rubik's cube and a half eaten carrot (laughs) and a big like fat head of his mom's face. It's like, but as we, you know, not to, engage in the larger discourse too much but as we've seen young black boys get seen as dangerous men you know as the moment they reach probably like certain whatever a certain height threshold or whenever uh, a white cop or security officer wants to see them as a threat basically so i can't imagine how terrified just mcdonald is after this incident thinking that could have been my son yeah and again, like this is, it's not even just necessarily physical safety of the player themselves, but it's also their loved ones, right? Like, and that contributes to emotional safety and mental safety in these spaces. And now that we have multiple incidents across multiple stadiums, and to be fair, the incident with Jessica McDonald and her son took place in Utah, right? Which is no longer technically, as of this moment, an NWSL venue, but also. I think it it then elevates this to a league problem because now we have multiple incidents where we have to consider what security is contributing at this point. And again, like this is now the gray area that we enter into is that not all of these teams have full control over this because so many of these teams do not, none of these teams are built for, none of the, the venues are built for NWSL teams. And so you are kind of beholden to the whims of whoever owns this venue and what security firms they employ. I mean, we there's a lot that we could get into here, but there is no easy answer, but it's also just like this has to get talked about at a much higher level, like at a league level and not just this is a Houston Dash problem because we have now seen that it's not just necessarily a Houston Dash problem, that it could happen at multiple stadiums. Right. The The thing that really struck me about this weekend is that it was such a potpourri of events that create a larger context. And um, not to be a nerd on Maine, 
But so in labor discrimination, a lot of times cases are not straightforward. You're not usually going to get an email from the president of the company being like, pay this person less because she's a black woman, right? It's the totality of the evidence. It's uh, circumstantial, but you build a case through like a bunch of incidents that when you judge them all together, it could not be anything else but discrimination. And honestly, this weekend felt kind of like that. The totality of the evidence here suggests at the very least that this league is not Remember how you asked about AD French, emotionally safe, mentally safe, if not physically safe, at least this league is not an emotionally safe place to be a black player. And remember last year, how many black players told us we were asked to just focus on soccer, but that didn't focus on us as black people. And how can we play at our best when our like fundamental humanity is not being acknowledged it's so like it, it is a league problem. It's not just a club by club problem. It's not an incident by incident problem. It's it's a it's a league problem. And, you know, part of it is the league is having to contend with systemic racism in this country, which is, uh, you know, maybe we have to we have to boot that problem even higher up. But what the league can control, they should. And I think it's clear that they can't sit here and try to confront incidents as they happen. They have to be proactive. They have to get out in front of this. And I think we see that it's endemic to them, or at least in this weekend, that getting out in front of things has not been their strong suit so far. So. I mean, and that's, so one of the interesting things too is, okay, so Tuesday night they announce first the disciplinary report and then they say hey ps we're, we're we have a formal investigation going into houston and as part of that release they say also this is under our safe work policy and you can read this pdf on our website which is a new development and so for me also the question becomes is like okay if this is a new development what what existed before and like again, this is this is a Utah problem, right? Like this, there are so many smaller things adding up to into this larger whole. We've got Utah, and like even stuff before this league too, right? Like this is just kind of the history of women's soccer. Of you have bad actors in the mix, and like yeah, the standard of this is Dan Borislaw and Magic Jack. But this is the kind of landscape that we have dealt with over years and years. And like you have to build some of these fail safes into place. And I think people have been asking, where's the education? Like where's the, the sexual harassment training? Where's the reporting structure? Where are all of these things that any sort of job would have? And that's, I mean, that's kind of the landscape. Like, we want to be a professional league at the NWSL. Where are all of the structural things that you need to actually be in order to be a professional league? And at some point, being a young league stops being an excuse. At some point, you just have to invest into these things because it is ultimately at the safety of your players. And also they come to light because they're being pointed out. <laughs> I think we're also missing that component of it too. Like the how how we're talking about 
policies and things that are coming into play now, well, why? And it's because players specifically, really, uh, and then underneath that, their supporters, right, are pointing out these things. <laughs> Not having those type of policies or having to have this investigation, you know, currently ongoing when there's a history <laughs> that we've been talking about repeatedly on this episode. Um, we're, we talked a lot in 2020 and even now into 2021 about, you know, tipping points, right? <laughs> like what is what what it is and what does it feel like like when it happens and um you know this could be you know one another one of those uh, another one of those moments you know like that to, to point to and and look at and say okay here and um i think the league is also learning at this point that there's there's uh, the growth that they want um still isn't going to come you know without you know its fair share of constructive criticisms because I think the league is also learning that they haven't gotten it right right and even when they make an attempt to get it right there's still always room to make it even better right so we're like learning that and seeing that from the league even with something like the you know the the, the trans policy that they put into place uh, so while and you have on one hand you, you're saying um, wow this is something that was probably unimaginable when the league was founded, you know, almost a decade ago, but now here we are, but that's so surface level. That's yeah. so bare minimum, right? Yeah. It's very easy to be impressed when you hop over the bar, when the bar is sitting in the bottom of a lake stuck under some mud, like it's very easy to be impressed and pat yourself on the back with that. Um, but I think, I think the real growth is going to come from these very, very difficult and hard moments. And, and they do, they feel heavy. They feel heavy with reason, with reason. You know, I hopped on a clubhouse with the two of you not too long ago. And I referred to these constant growing pains as generational growing pains. They're not just something that are, that's happening over the course of 2020 into 2021. When you look at women's professional soccer as a whole and the whole landscape, the thing and the whole lens, all of these things, all of these growing pains are generational. They have been ongoing for years. So yes, the exhaustion is top level. It is up there. Uh, but we also have to acknowledge the fact that we are three non-black women talking about this racialized issue that imp directly impacts black women who play in the league. And so often there's a lot of discussion about like, oh, what's it going to take? And like, what is it going to, you know, what needs to happen in order for there to in ensure change? And so, and it's so, there's that other layer of sadness where we're seeing how much of that is uh, falling on these players to not just be athletes perform day to day in these weeks, but also to bear this responsibility. Like that is too much. And uh, sometimes that shouldn't, <laughs> that really shouldn't be falling to them, whether they were athletes in this league or not, even the black fans, I'm sure of this league also feel a layer of exhaustion beyond comprehension on our parts, you know, or others. So it's just, uh, 
you gotta there's that layer of like you know is this the tipping point and we i just come back to that where i i hope it is you know but we're not going to know until we know right so there's an investigation that's ongoing um you know even with the the disciplinary committees uh you know the, they're they're released today with that uh you know they're they're seeing reactions from that too so these are all things that are going to go in that bag of generational growing pains that hopefully the league continues to build on and and grow on because I don't I don't think they're looking at any I really want to believe that the front office isn't looking at all of this stuff and saying oh we definitely want to go through all this again no you don't yeah I, and that's that's kind of the thing that I can't get over this weekend is just so much stuff went sideways and there's not even self-preservation sometimes it's ha- like that's the thing that that really strikes me and the the other image that i just constantly have in my head and this is a, a for the culture soccer podcast thing but like they i think they literally released the t-shirt that's like zero days without racism in soccer like that's where we're at in the nwsl too like it, it's not it's it's baked into the premise at this point. And I think that there's just, there just hasn't been this work that's been done to like take that step back. And, and one of the things that I think has come up on a lot of media availabilities with Lisa Baird with, with kind of like everyone, right. It's just kind of like, what is the work that's really happening? Like, what are you doing structurally to support the black women's player collective? And then it gets kind of pushed off to the, NWSLPA, right? Like what, what is happening right now? (laughs) And they're just really, I just don't know if there's a good answer. So I I will say this in that um, tonight I found out that Lisa Baird did do an email that went out to the players. And apparently she has been in direct contact with Sarah Gordon and has said, you know, I can't, I can't judge the results of an investigation because it's not complete yet, but, you know, Sarah Gordon has my support for speaking up and asking better of the league. And uh, I believe there's going to be league-wide mandatory harassment and discrimination training, Um, you know, and this new policy has uh, a mechanism for anonymous reporting as well. It's a little bit buried. It's not like blaring, like, if you want to anonymously report, you know, in like size 20 bold font, which I think it should be, because when you're reporting things like harassment, um, you know, racism, sexual harassment, maybe you don't want your name attached right away because, because of the whole section that they have in the policy on retaliation. But anyway, the point being that there, ha- there seems to have been some communication between the league and the players and you know, a recognition that something has to be done league-wide and this can't just be let lie and it's a serious issue. What kind of further follow-up or effects we'll see from the league, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do... do... (laughs) I'm like, we're at an hour, dude. What do you want? (laughs) Let's do some quick hits. Like, let's completely change the topic. First... I just want a quick reaction from both of you in terms of we're going to save the U.S. Women's National Team for a second. Uh, 
Nichelle Prince's goal <laughs> against England. Steph, if only the folks listening to this podcast could see your face, they cannot. Please start talking about this goal. Go. Canada, I want to give them the credit. Um, Bev Priestman kind of changed things up. Uh, she gave Quinn in particular some more responsibility in that midfield, slightly more free roaming role. And I think Canada had a game plan against England and they seem to have stuck to it. Um, it didn't make for the most exciting game, but what it did allow Canada to do was kind of stay strong. And then when the mistakes happen, pounce on them and they pounced the shit out of these mistakes because <laughs> yeah, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a boring game where England made two mistakes and Canada capitalized on them and that's how they won and it is kind of true but I want to give Canada credit for executing a game plan even if it's not the most exciting thing in the world but oh my god it's it was just like a comedy of errors well first of all they scored in the first five minutes off of uh, a defender mistake who was it it was someone who only had like 30 minutes in the game. God, this is so bad. <laughs> Sandra and Meg are both because they're like, we were working, dude. Like, <laughs> don't look at us. Um, I definitely watched the Nichelle Prince highlight and that was it from this. That was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nichelle this Prince is thing. why KDY it exists for me personally. <laughs> right. England's trying to make one last desperate gasp at the Canadian goal. They don't manage it. The ball gets sent out that like, it's going back to the English goalkeeper. Um, and here comes Michelle Prince running along at full speed. And I have to admit, I wasn't even allowed the joy of seeing this happen live. I had to catch it as like a GIF replay because I was in the middle of USA versus France. No thank you for making those two overlap. Um, it was, I don't know. Here's one thing that I hate to say, but I have to say it is that Canada being able to capitalize on mistakes is improvement for them because in the past they've been handed things on a platter and their scoring contingent, Michelle Prince included, but you know, you've got Janine Becky on there. You've got Deanne Rose, Jesse Fleming, like a whole host of players who have ended up in goal and have not managed to put the ball away. But this time Evelyn Vienne scored that first goal. Like she hung in tough with her defender and poked it in. <laughs> that was real embarrassing for England. Cause it was, I think it was Demi Stokes. Demi Stokes made the mistake in the back. Um, and just Vian was like, Oh, hello. <laughs> and then on the other end, yeah. Nichelle Prince just pounces on the mistake and stays calm and finishes it. And I'm like, okay, this is a Canada that could be, if not exciting, um, can make things scary for everybody else. <laughs> in the future right yeah because they figure out how to not get broken down and then they they wait patiently and then from the shadows yeah they politely attack <laughs> the shadows they politely they say sorry as they run on by sorry <laughs> what i what i do want to talk about this international window is england goes over two between france and canada australia what is they happening? got 10 goals dropped on them from germany and netherlands they yeah. scored two back on germany but against the netherlands it's like the netherlands were like they it was like they said to germany like you were like a little baby watch this <laughs> and their little blunt dutch voices with their little ipads of <laughs> their mascots, <laughs> <With> their mascots. <laughs> me and i just losing it 
That was so good. Yeah. What I what I do want to put in context, maybe for folks, is I I don't know if we can overstate the import importance of momentum. Like the Sweden game was not good, right? Like we we need to say like the Sweden game was not good, but then to come back against France for the U.S. national team, and granted, like this is not the France that we are used to, but it is still France. Sandy Ball, like they they completely neutralized Katoto and and really the entire forward line from France like this was not you know on Monday Vlako Andonovsky is in this press conference saying like France is going to impose their pace on us and then we watch that game and that is the opposite of what happened um Samer where yeah (laughs) Sandy Baltimore was like the only good thing about that squad for about 15 minutes and and Sandy Baltimore obviously like was incredible against England too so yeah I mean it's just I don't know if there's a lot new to say necessarily about the U.S. national team. Like, I think the Sweden game was by far the more interesting of the two games in terms of, like, actual takeaways. Because, again, like, even Vlako admitted this. Like, he has never had to coach from behind, right? So, like, we're actually starting to see this in terms of, like, problem solving not just from the players which we haven't seen in a while but the fact that like even Vlaco is sitting there going like oh okay if this doesn't work what comes next and then what comes after that and what comes after that but were there any Sandra how about you were there any main takeaways especially from that Sweden game for you you know they they ended up playing to a 1-1 draw against Sweden and even within that all of the the buildup and the narrative and the stuff coming out of like the the media availability, it's like they called it almost. It's like they called it like they called it like they knew it was going to play out and what it was going to be like. Um, that Sweden was going to present them with challenges that they hadn't necess- that they probably hadn't necessarily faced in this you know sixteen game win streak that they had been on. Um, that. Vladko Andonovsky himself was going to probably very specifically be tasked with some challenges. Like, and we saw that happen, having a coach uh, from behind. Um, I, my favorite game of the two games was the, was the Sweden game. I think there's a level of uh, like being spoiled, right. From this, this women's national team where they, they win the world cups, they compete hard. They, uh, they come out and they perform. And then to sort of, see them have the game that they have against Sweden. I'm not, again, trying to say, like, calling it how we see it. Like, they just knew how it was going to be. There's That's just part of that team's culture. It's like, I think there was that layer of, well, they didn't win this game against Sweden, but they're going to go and win against France. And they did that. Uh, all of the things that they knew they were going to be tasked with, with against France, became irrelevant. I mean... Marie Katoda is a phenomenal top line player, right? If you have not had the opportunity to watch her play domestically in France, please try to figure out a way to do that. I know waking up early to watch European matches are tough, but hey, if you get a shot to do it, do it. She is a phenomenal player. And watching a player of her caliber just become isolated in a non-factor against a team like the United States that are, was missing somebody like Abby Dahlkemper. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, it speaks so much to how 
the United States women national team is constructed and built. Like there, it was like, yeah, this was a one-one draw, and uh, it doesn't matter because look what we could do. Yeah. And they went out. I did. They went and got, they got a pen in the in like the first five minutes of the game. Alex Morgan does what she does best. She was like, all right, so you're telling me we're going up against the top team in the world? I'll go get my ass whooped. Let's make it happen. <laughs> And, you know, I, I think I said not too long ago, I'm like, who can give me that? Where's the stat head at? Who's the stat head that's going to give me the stat of Alex Morgan taking on the pitch abuse from opposition? That was the in, entire in 2019 to, World Cup. In order to open up play for her teammates. Like, that's what Alex Morgan does. Yeah. Sacrifice her bodies while also scoring goals. And she did that again today. Uh, and Vlaco you know, he made specific reference to that. And Alex Morgan has the Olympics loom closer and that he has to finalize these decisions to make an 18 player roster with alternates and somebody like Alex Morgan coming back from, from having her baby girl. He's like, yeah, yeah. She brought it today. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it was, it's just uh, these, I love that they went to Europe. I love that they played these two teams. I think both of these games showed us a lot about the makeup and the build of who the United States women's national team really are. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I mean, I think all three of us have had this conversation in terms of like what the storylines are around this team, right? Like we can't get into Vlatko's brain. It is impossible. Also, can I just say how much I love that when he was asked about watching NWSL games, Vlatko was immediately like, yeah, I watched all four of them. What are you talking about? Like, he was just like, no, of course I did. What are you talking about? Like, it's just, it's such a different experience. (laughs) When it comes it, to that it's a different energy right <laughs> it is it, it truly is, is a new era like he's out here like yeah we film trainings and analyze trainings and also we we watch all every single nwsl game we watch we watch preseason friendlies on like you play it we're gonna watch it it's just it's it, it feels different steph i want to talk to you about christy mewis because christy mewis didn't get a lot of time I think both of us are rooting for her to make the roster. Um, here's the thing. If Christy had scored and she did get at least two good scoring opportunities against Sweden right away, right? She actually looked maybe like the most dangerous person on that pitch in terms of scoring. And she only had like five or six minutes out there. I think if if it were head to head between her and Lynn Williams, Maybe Christy would have made a case for herself in that game because Lynn also had a bad game. However, Lynn has consistently performed over a longer period and maybe does more in the system for Vlatko than Christy does, given the depth of the midfield roster. And I'm not sure that Christy Mewis differentiates herself quite enough as opposed to Lynn normally being able to execute very, very well within Vlatko's vision of what he wants her to do, you know, driving hard the defense and opening up gaps and, you know, making people regret that they decided to be a defender, things like that. Um, so, yes, Lynn had one bad game and Christy looked good in the few minutes that she had. And if it and if all else being equal, they were head to head on that. I'd be like, oh, that seems tough. But all things aren't equal. Lynn has had more time and she's proven herself more in more games and maybe might be more what Blacko wants from his system, which really upsets me because I'm rooting so like it's such a feel-good story that she Christy Mewis like she bided her time, she did her work, you know, I I did my nickel, you come get me, 
know, she did. She put the time in, the work in, and she played her way back in. She made her like she forced her way back into the conversation, just like a rude little math hole. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm really rooting for the kid. I say, even though she's not that much younger than me, <laughs> and I really want to see her and Sam. They're they're very sweet with each other once again in that kind of math hole way. Christy Muse um, did come through with the earplugs for Sam, so it's true. Maybe that that needs it's to true. be true. But I'm play. not I'm not super positive that Christy's going to play her way into a very small Olympic roster. Yeah, I mean, I think the question becomes: Does Christy Muse become an alternate? Which is like I think the worst. Oh, oh, it's like the bronze medal syndrome, right? Where yeah, like when you get that. silver, it's it's worse than bronze. This at least, was this yeah. was the worst part about. Heather O'Reilly's exit from the national team is that she she went as an alternate in the 2016 real like that was as a as a noted AO appreciator that was one of the worst things to experience. Um, can, I, uh, can I uh flip the script and ask a question? Yeah. Oh yeah. Since we're talking, since we're speaking USWNT and Olympic roster, someone that we haven't gotten to see in these big games ahead of you know with the olympics with so few games remaining uh and we're talking about who's gonna potentially be left on or left off what does that mean for somebody like tobin heath tobin heath is a great you guys are upset that i asked that, that is no i mean and that's like first of all okay so here's here's the fun with vodka right like we've got the term known entities and if you want to talk about known entities tobin heath is like she was right right at the top of the list yeah and i think tobin heath also works really well in his system i mean like at this point it i think it really depends on form in manchester but that is that is like an x factor that at this point feels really hard to predict just in terms of like, if she is healthy or not. And this is like, it's all, it feels like a repeat of Megan Rapinoe in 2016 where the decision was made. And I think in the wrong fashion to put her on the roster. Right. And not a lot of playing time took up a spot that arguably could be used in a better fashion it's a really interesting premise. And I like, this is where my personal BS comes into play where I don't always like to say like, Oh, okay, here's my rock because my roster doesn't matter. Right. Like I want to think about where Vlaco's head is at. And again, like I don't have the data that Vlaco has. I don't have the conversations that Vlaco has. I have no sense of where, where Vlaco is thinking on Tobin right at the moment. And I think it really does come down to when she makes her return to Manchester and what she looks like in those games. I will say this. I'm not sure that Kristen press had the best two games overall. If you're looking for room in that forward (laughs) roster, like we just talked about Lynn Williams, although you know, they don't necessarily play the same spot, but we saw him, he shifted Kristen Press around left and right. So that actually might elevate her above Lynn, despite relative, you know, disparities in performance, because that versatility is important, especially that we saw now he's like trying this little tinkering thing where he pushes Rose, not necessarily direct Rose is just position. like, do whatever you want. Yeah, but it's like, 
Kristen's like, well, okay, here I am over on the left now. And then having to execute there as well. Well, the left is, you know, better for her than right. Well, you know what I'm saying, right? Her ability to be versatile on the field, play, you know, under give and go left, right. Even maybe function as your central target or as a target in a front two, whatever that versatility matters more than maybe this like kind of more focused way that Vlaco prefers to use on Williams. So did I talk myself out of this being an issue? Maybe <laughs> in real time. <laughs> I'm just so like, nice, like eyeballs just getting bigger. I'm like, that's not what I asked, but I'll take it. <laughs> I think I talk myself out of it being an issue in real time. It's like that meme, right? Where the guy's like debating over something. It's the two guys yelling at each other with the chairs. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? And they're arguing with each other. And at the end, sometimes it resolves. I'm like, wait a minute. I argued myself out of my original position. Shoot. I mean, maybe maybe Tobin Heath takes Lynn Williams' place in that case. If we're talking about known quantities. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to ask a question on your podcast, <laughs> Meg. Appreciate it. That's that's the joy of, of this particular episode is that we went in with no plan. Just alcohol. Honestly, that's... That's what this podcast was about. And do we have an answer for the U.S. Women's National Team? No. Are we going to know anything until mid-June? No. What about Katarina Macario? (laughs) Damn you, France. (laughs) Just waggling my finger like Foghorn Leghorn. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do we have any, any closing thoughts about literally anything? Steph, I mean, it's been a while since we talked about WandaVision on this podcast. It's- <laughs> I'm, honest, I'm, deep, I'm deep in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I have a lot of thoughts about the clashing anti-imperialist message that they're kind of mangling on that show, like pushing up against Marvel's complicity and having to, you know, work with the U.S. military in order to accurately represent some stuff in their shows. But maybe that's for another episode. Yeah, I'm like I, at least two episodes behind. I'm not sure. I uh, I haven't started WandaVision. I don't know when I will. Uh, I have to watch 12 hours of soccer a day. Uh, but I did watch the last blockbuster, and I thought it was delightful. And I would absolutely marry Sandy from the last blockbuster in a heartbeat. Everybody deserves that kind of devotion. God bless her. Yeah, Marjorie and I have been watching season six of Buffy, which is arguably only to like we we decided we were going to rewatch it so that we could actually pick apart what goes wrong with this season. The answer is everything, but (laughs) that's what we've been watching. And it has been we're on we are just about to hit seeing red, which says everything (laughs) that's godspeed godspeed yeah on that note (laughs) let's let's wrap this episode up just in terms of where people can find you what 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 is everyone working on right at the moment that's all i got i feel like i i have about 17 articles i feel like i need to write and the the question just becomes which one I write first. That's where I'm at. Uh, NWSL Challenge Cup is back. The regular season's going to come back. So that means you'll find a whole bunch of NWSL coverage on CBS Sports for me. Uh, you can find all of the games 
on Paramount Plus. Shout out to CBS. Uh, please stop adding me about how you can get CBS Sports Network. You have to check with your cable provider, who is not me. And uh, yeah, you can always find, as always, Chicago-centric thoughts and drabbles uh, at Southside Trap Podcast uh, with my co-host Claire Watkins, where we chat about all things Chicago and Chicago Red Stars. Steph. I guess I'm following this NWSL disciplinary committee saga. <laughs> Actually, yeah, waiting for the results of the investigation with the Houston Dash, hoping to report that out. Not necessarily hoping. I do want to say this, NWSL. I don't want to write negative stories. None of us sitting here on this podcast got into this because we hate soccer and we hate NWSL and we're trying to torture enterprise. What? We got into this because we want to see NWSL succeed. We, we want, literally all of our lives depend on that. Right. If, <laughs> we want to write like awesome blockbuster stories about this league. And I think all of us have at some point or another. And right now we happen to be in kind of a negative news cycle. But we were, we were all so excited for soccer to be back. And I was we so excited for the Challenge Cup. And I guess and I'll be we covering were, that too. And then we were like, well, shit. Right. So you can find all of my positive and negative coverage at All for 11 on SB Nation and Stars and Stripes FC. And I may pop up from time to time on The Athletic. It's true. It's true. All right. That is a, a long Tuesday night for the three of us. And I appreciate the two of you, as always, as always, for all of the good and all of the bad. Again, like, I agree with Steph. We don't want to write this stuff. We don't want to talk about this stuff. But that is, that is how it goes sometimes. Thank you to Steph and Sandra for staying up late on Tuesday to talk. Uh, one more thing, yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the first ever inaugural game of WUSA, and while I am working through reading all of your comments on the listener survey, one common theme was more historical content. Uh, WUSA is really at the top of that list for me, personally, um, as someone who interned in that league, and yet still, I know for a fact I was at the, the first ever championship game and have zero memory of it. So for me, <laughs> it is really my own journey back into my own life to remember my own experiences because I can't remember them. So if there is something in particular that you would like to know about WSA for a potential podcast episode or more likely a, a bonus series of some kind, working it out, the news won't stop. So I want to keep the, the podcast for all the normal stuff. But if there is something you would like to know about WSA, please let me know. As always, the home for this podcast is at fulltimepod.com. You can find links to all of the major podcast platforms, our 2021 trailer for the show, the basically everything that you could possibly need. That is fulltimepod.com. My name is Meg Linehan, and you have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Again, Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. <laughs>